So I have a question for you. Is our church mission true? Our mission, the way God personalized his mission for us, is to reach, teach, and release. To reach toward God and neighbor, to teach faith in Jesus Christ, and to release spirit-filled disciples. That's the way God personalized the great commandment and the great commission um, for us. And kind of every year, we'd like to relook at our mission and make sure that we're true to that mission. And not only true to the mission as a concept, but true to the mission as a person, Jesus. That we are still moving forward in abiding and close love with Jesus. And that we are like the culture of our family and the, uh, the, the, the way people experience that mission is true to him. True to Jesus. Because drift is natural. Staying true requires intention and effort. Last week, we took a look at, at, at this kind of illustration. This is a picture from uh, uh, one of my friend's planes. Um, and we were flying back from seeing a, uh, a baseball game at Oracle Park. Um, last Saturday, and I love baseball. Uh, I was a Dodger fan in the Giants' den. So, uh, but uh, um, this was flying back. You see the sun setting over Morro Rock and all that. And it was a windy day. And what you realize when you get into especially a small plane is, is that wind uh, is really a big deal. Uh, wind that blows left and right, and also wind that blows up and down. And if you just point the airplane in one direction and don't make any changes to uh, any of your flight controls, you will end up way off course. It requires internal adjustments to stay true to course because external forces are always changing. And that's the same for us in our mission. It's not that his word changes or his promises change, but the way that we live out those promises, the methods we use, the movements that we're a part of, the things, the tools that we need to pull out of our toolbox, so to speak, they change over time in order for us to stay true to our mission because the culture we live in now is not like any culture that's ever been. The future is always off the map. Now, we might say that the map in some way is like we can draw lessons from the past, and that's true. But uh, most, uh, uh, what we have to face is that really we don't know what tomorrow brings. Really, we don't know all the forces that are going to push on us, the winds that are going to push on us today, whether they be to the left or to the right or up or down. And it requires us to be willing to make internal adjustments to stay true to course. Are you with me so far? We want to be a church and a people that are, are willing to make those internal adjustments to stay true to the mission that God has called us to, um, to stay close to Christ. And last week we looked at reach. That, and we looked at a passage from Scripture from Matthew chapter 22 um, and the... Uh, um, uh, there was somebody asked Jesus, said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? 
And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your... Wow, do you even have a heart? It didn't sound like it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your... Yes, and with all your... Yeah, kind of depending on the translation, you kind of get lost. But let's go with heart, soul, mind, strength in that order. With all your... Okay, rewind back to the beginning. With all your... With all your... With all your... And with all your... Yes, that love... In that phrase, all your requires you to reach out. It's a reach. You have to focus. And yes, I am balancing on that ledge. You have to reach out to focus on something, someone beyond yourself. That's Christ. We're reaching towards God. We have to all be in alignment to reach. That's what it means to love with all your heart. And it means it all has to be out there. It all has to be on the line. It all has to be reaching. And in that, we sometimes feel a little unprotected, a little vulnerable, a little uncomfortable, but that's exactly where he wants us because then he can pour through us everything he gives. Our love is a reaching love. And today, we're going to look at teach. Now, what does it mean to teach. What does it mean to teach? Can you throw out some words um, that might help us understand teach? Instruct. What? Train. Thank you, Todd. Educate. That's a big word. No, I'm kidding. Uh, what else? To guide. To impart knowledge. To influence. To show, to demonstrate. What else? To, to lead. How about to ex exemplify something, to model it in the way that it should be? Have you ever seen somebody like that? That exemplified something that you could, yeah, I want to I wanna be like Mike. Pastor Mike, that is. No, it's one, one person in chapel uh, said to teach is to, um, to share everything that I've received from God with somebody else. Let me look at it a little differently. Think for a moment who your favorite or one of your favorite teachers was growing up. Hopefully you had a favorite teacher. You weren't like me. Most teachers weren't excited to see me walk into their classroom. <laughs> but think of one of your favorite teachers. And now think of why. Why was that person one of your favorite teachers? And in a word or a phrase, shout that out to me. Love. Love. Kindness. Kindness. Compassion. Passionate. Passionate. They cared. They're different. They are. They made the subject interesting. They challenged. There was this kind of weird blend of compassion and challenge mixed up in the same tonic. 
Well, one of my favorite teachers growing up, her name was Mrs. Avery, and uh, she taught at San Luis High for, I don't know, probably 40 years. Um, and uh, I, um, she taught AP American literature, um, and so as a junior, uh, and she had a reputation, meaning she had a reputation for the, her class being really hard, she was really strict, and so there were a lot of people that actually avoided taking her class uh, just based on the reputation alone. And then others, after they listened to how hard the class was gonna be in the first week, they bailed out. So oftentimes, even at the high school level, the class would start out like 35 kids, and then by the time the second week was, there was only 25. Um, and I was mystified or curious uh, about um, that, and so I signed up. And it, yes, true to form, the class was really hard, and she did expect a lot of us. Um, but uh, um, I, I can tell you it wasn't because the subject was interesting or that um, she really just challenged us to work really hard that endeared her to my soul. The first essay that she had us write, um, I wrote what would have given me or I would have received an A from any other teacher that I had gotten. I, I wrote a perfectly satisfactory essay. And I got my paper back and on the, the top, she wrote D period O period. Do over. Yeah, I had to ask what D.O. meant because I didn't r realize what the grades. And I turned to the last page, and there was, a, and then it struck me because she had written seven or eight sentences, like a full paragraph in cursive, really engaging and interacting with my ideas and where I left things short and where I had plagiarized from other books. And, you know, <laughs> but it wasn't a criticism. She was inviting me to do better, and she said, if you just leave it here, leave it as it is, that'll be a C, but you're welcome to do it over for a better grade. And I went and, and, um, and met with her, and we talked about the essay, and then every time, every time I, you know, I did, redid that essay, and every time I, we, I turned something in, I'd get a paragraph of writing that really engaged with what I had said, with what I was thinking, and with ways to get better. And I would go and I'd talk with her afterwards. And that really, even, even at that age, I didn't, couldn't really articulate it, but, but the amount, the way that she engaged with me and invested with me was much more than just being really knowledgeable and standing up here at a podium and saying a bunch of cool stuff. And so then later on, when in my um, uh, in early career, I, was, uh, I taught in the public schools for three years, and I, was, uh, uh, I, had, I had to work as a teacher in summer school to pay the bills as well, because um, we were young and didn't have much uh, at the time. And I uh, signed up to teach a, uh, a Casey class, a California high school exit exam class, which is for students um, that otherwise are so behind in so many subjects they wouldn't be able to pass the high school exit exam, and this is their remedial work over the summer. So you can imagine how much they enjoyed spending their summer doing remedial work. Well, I, I, uh, 
I remembered one of the things um, that I did is I, I really made it a point to I, wanted to, I wanted to give them the blessing that Mrs. Avery had given to me um, because it helped me to become a dramatically better writer, much better than just getting a smiley face at the top that said, nice job. And at the end of the first essay that I graded, it took 10 or 12 minutes. And then by the time I had done one essay for 15 students, I had spent two and a half hours. And then it hit me that Mrs. Avery had 10 or had five classes of 25 or 30 students, and the amount of investment that she had made in people just took my breath away. And I remember deciding, I, was, I, I thought, wow. Now, every time somebody asks me for feedback on a college essay, because um, they're applying for college, nephews or nieces, or they ask for comments on a song they've written, or a, a poem they've written, or uh, a spoken word, or a message, or a website they've created, or something that they've made, it's an opportunity for me to engage and bring my whole self and interact with them and share all that God has given me even for that moment and to make that investment of time and heart into those things, into those people. Rather than just putting, oh, that's cool. That's nice. Nice job. Eh, that wasn't my favorite. Really? We do that. We have such an opportunity to teach one another. And so let's look at teaching the way Jesus taught. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now let me paraphrase some of what this means so we don't get tripped up by um, our kind of our religious context. When Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth, that is something the disciples knew by observation. They watched him calm storms. They watched him heal people with incurable diseases. They watched him cast demons out. They watched him, they watched him draw lines in the sand. They watched him see, turn cities upside down. They watched him do all kinds of not only signs and wonders, but they watched him exercise the authority that he said that he had. This, was, he was, this is nothing new for them. He is saying what they already knew by observation. Then he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations or make disciples from people of every tribe and tongue. Now here's where we get tripped up. Baptizing them, baptizing them, 
right? We, it, and baptize for, for this purpose is not just a religious act of getting dunked in a tank of water, although that is a good and right thing to do. It is baptized, it is fully immersing them in something. To immerse them, what? In the name. Now, that's not a name box, a name card. The name of someone is the fullness of their reality. To fully immerse them, to immerse them in the fullness of the reality that they have a heavenly father who loves them. That they have a savior who is God's son, who has paid the ultimate price to redeem them from darkness and bring them into light. The, the fullness of the reality of the Son and the fullness of the reality of the Holy Spirit, that he didn't just leave us to fiddle around on our own until eternity, but that he has given us his very spirit to indwell our hearts and our being, that we would know his voice, be able to walk in his ways, and to be able to exercise that same authority in the earth. This is an amazing thing, to fully immerse people in the reality of their heavenly Father, the saving of the Son, and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. Now that word observe is, means to do or to put into practice all things that I have. And this word commanded, remember... Sometimes we're a, uh, a victim of the translation. You think of command as somebody standing at the front and commanding you to do something. Well, the word in the Greek really just means given. Teaching them or helping people to follow or to put into practice all things that I have given you. And lo... Or, and so, or, and surely, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That I will go with you and be with you right in your ear, in your very heart. I will be with you everywhere that you are to the end of the age. Not just in the, to the end of your life, but permanently, forever. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So the word here that we are to make, that kind of this whole passage is about, and it's part of our mission, it was the mission Jesus was on, and it's the mission that we're on as his body, is discipleship. The mission of the church is discipleship, to become a disciple, to make other disciples. So the question, the next question that I have for you is, what is a disciple? Like, how would you define a disciple? What is a disciple? That's your turn. A follower? Yes? A student? What is a disciple? A disciplined one? Yes? There's some intention. There's some... There's some, like, consistent intention there. What else? What does it mean to be a disciple? Christine? Yes, somebody who's curious, who wants to learn. What else? A Padawan. Dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum. 
Yes, a Padawan. Repeat the principles of the master. A disciple in, in this context would have been someone who not only wants to learn from a teacher, but to be able to become like their teacher and teach others like their teacher. A disciple is someone who learns and teaches what he learns. Someone who learns and teaches what she learns. So take the temperature as we talk over the next few minutes about discipleship. Take the temperature of your discipleship. Who are you learning from? Who are you close enough to learn from? Mrs. Avery was my teacher, but she got close enough. I got close enough to her to really learn from her in such a way that later... I could teach others, I could pass on, I could give away what she had given me. Who are you learning from? Who are you close enough to learn from? And who are you sharing with? Not just teaching at the front of a class, because I had lots of teachers that taught in front of a class. I had lots of teachers that were really smart. We, I had lots of teachers that expounded lots of great principles and were, I was spellbound by their lectures and all that kinds of things. But I had very, very, very few teachers that invested hours and hours of time getting to know me and helping me get from where I was to where I could be. Someone who learns and teaches what he learns. Now I'm going to poke a hornet's nest. I'm just going to let you know. I'm going to poke a hornet's nest. What should Jesus' disciples learn and teach others? Because many think, by the look of our, especially the Western church, many think by their practice, by our practice, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm including us all in this kind of picture. Many of us, by our practices, believe that it should be Christ's teachings, Yes, I'm poking a hornet's nest. Now, I'm not going to say we should teach things other than Christ's teachings. That's, that's, not what I'm, that's not what I'm getting to. But if we believe that his teachings alone make disciples, we're deceiving ourselves. Because by our practice, we believe that when we offer sermon after sermon, class after class, conference after conference, we're making disciples. But this... Now, these things are good. These are key ingredients of nurturing or building a culture of discipleship, but it's only one ingredient. And this, this is only one aspect of disciple-making. And this type of teaching alone, hear me, friends, produces students who never graduate. If all of our discipleship exists in this format, you sitting, listening to someone talk, you will be a student who never graduates. And I am not saying, even for myself, if I spend all my time sitting here or in the myriad of hears that we have, listening to somebody else, 
I will be a student who never graduates. We don't want to be students who never graduate. We want to be disciples, people who learn and put into practice and then share what we've learned with others. How do we do that? Well, an essential study of discipleship with Jesus is not just his teachings, but also his life. He interpreted and applied his own teachings so that we could observe him apply those teachings. Um, The teachings of Jesus really are best understood in the context of his life. So studying his life with the Spirit, with the help of the Holy Spirit, will help us develop his character and imitate his ministry or his application of those teachings. Then our faith won't be shallow or misguided or dead, but our faith will be alive with the real works of Jesus. Here's an example. So one of Christ's teachings is to love your enemies. How many of you have seen somebody do a really good job loving their enemy? I don't know. I had to think about that. It wasn't just like, oh, well, I could rattle off five or six people. Why is that? Well, it's not easy. If you just listen to a sermon and read the principle of loving your enemy, you might wrongly apply that principle. Have you ever witnessed the richness of someone loving their enemy? Now here's, to take it a step further, we could take his teachings or take that message and take it back to the scriptures and spend time looking and studying the life of Jesus and how he loved Judas, how he loved Pontius Pilate, how he loved tax collectors, how he loved Samaritans, and how he loved Pharisees. Because these are all different kinds of enemies, and you will recognize that his love looked different with all of these enemies. An enemy is not just somebody with a sword and a shield on a battlefield. An enemy is someone who is actively opposing you or your ideas. We all have enemies. Jesus had enemies. And he loved them differently. He loved Samaritans by going out of his way to demonstrate overt and crazy compassion and mercy. He loved Pontius Pilate by coming all the way and entertaining all of his arguments and giving him opportunities, even in private, to receive the kingdom, to listen, and to make a righteous judgment without publicly shaming him. He loved Judas who was an enemy within. He was an enemy counted even among the disciples. He loved Judas to such a degree that the other disciples did not detect any misgiving on the part of Jesus toward him when he announced that someone would betray him because none of them knew who it would be. Now, Jesus knew his betrayer from the beginning. Imagine that kind of love. Can you watch him love his enemy and apply his teaching differently? Now, we can watch and we can um, 
We can pray and be led by the Spirit in our study of how Jesus loved the enemies, his different enemies differently. And then we can learn or take our learning to the next level of when do I love one way versus another? How do I agape this enemy, this person, this group? How do I agape that? And I can, I can see not just that I have to love them and have a very shallow and trite definition of what that means, but I can look and see how Jesus loved all his different enemies and draw the richness of how he applied and interpreted that teaching to my life so I can love and agape my enemy in the way that is appropriate and holy. But what's even better is to do all that and walk alongside someone already loving enemies well that we can learn to interpret and apply with them and then teach others around us to do the same. To understand this kind of discipleship is to conclude that it can't be done on Sundays alone. This kind of discipleship cannot be done in this building alone. It can't be done consuming good content alone. No matter how much TBN you watch, no matter how many podcasts you listen to, no matter how many devotions you read, you will not have the life and the discipleship of another believer helping you to move onward and forward and interpret and apply that which you are learning. Ultimately, this kind of discipleship just can't be done alone, period. Fans, lone rangers, and commentators are not acting like true disciples. You can be a fan of Jesus. You can be a fan of this church, a fan of how we worship, a fan of this, a fan of that, and not learn, meaning put into practice and then share what is being imparted to you. You can, fans are not disciples. Lone rangers are not disciples. It's not just me and, my, me and my faith, and I'm on my own. Because how can you ever share and impart to anyone? And even worse, are you really so deceived that you think you have it all together and are of need of no one else? We cannot be a disciple alone. And we cannot be a commentator. Now, the commentator box is always full, standing room only. And in fact, especially, I mean, there, is, there are always people that have a bone to pick with the church. It's not doing enough evangelism. It's not doing enough discipleship. The worship is too loud. The worship is too quiet. The worship has this. The worship has that. The speaker doesn't spend enough time on meat. He's always giving us milk. There's, we, we don't, we don't, uh, we're not earnest enough about spiritual gifts. We're not earnest enough. We don't have a high enough value of scripture. We're not engaged enough culturally. We should stop worrying about politics. We should do what you, there's always commentators. Commentators are not disciples. If you're commentating, stop and take what you've learned and put it into practice and share it with somebody. 
That's the mark of a disciple. That's how you bring what the Lord has shown you into being, into the world, into the culture. The commentating box, hopefully, will empty out soon, at least around here. No, I... Important questions. Who has really helped to disciple you? Who are you helping to disciple? And if these questions are difficult to answer, really you're not alone because we need to nurture together a culture of discipleship, a culture of teaching the way Jesus taught. How did Jesus teach? This will be kind of where we land. How did Jesus teach? Well, first... Jesus called out to them, his friends, his disciples, while they were on their jobs, working. And he said, come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. That was something they could understand. He got down, sat eye to eye to M, used an illustration, a context, a framework, where they were at that they could understand. And he invited them to come with him right then, not with a whole long list of prerequisites, but come and follow me and I will show you how to fish, which you understand, but fish for people. I will show you how to love the way I'm loving. And if you kind of track that, the first thing he did, how did Jesus teach? He said, Watch me, observe, right? He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. The disciples had observed his authority in ministry, and throughout the first few chapters in every gospel, you see them essentially watching him turn water into wine, watching him challenge the Pharisees, watching him in lots of public and private healing settings, watching him minister to the woman at the well, and then do days and weeks of extended ministry in that whole city until it was turned upside down. And the disciples were actually so uncomfortable with his work load and his ministry load and their kind of observation of that, that they weren't really doing much. They urged him to stop and don't you need to eat? Don't you need to sleep? This is John 4.31, to which he spoke then about his nourishment coming from doing what his father sent him to do, right? They're watching him first. And then you see a transition into the middle parts of the gospel where his disciples are doing ministry with him. And you see uh, like kind of that that transition happens right around the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6. And you you see then Jesus asking his disciples, would you feed the crowd? And they say, how do we do that? We don't have anything. Well, tell us what he said. Well, then tell me what you do have. And they scrounge around and they find loaves and fish. And then he multiplies and blesses them, but then gives all the stuff back to them for them to pass out. Like he, they're involved in ministry. They're, they're stepping out. They're sinking a little. And then he's showing them, encouraging their faith, and they're getting back up. He, they're ste- he's, he's asking them a question. He's giving them something to do. They're stepping out. They're getting tweaked, sometimes successful, they're failing a little bit, then he's taking them aside and he's teaching them and he's showing them all of the principles and the way the kingdom works and the way his love moves through them and the way their faith needs to expand and grow to the size of the kingdom, to the size of of Christ, the faith in Jesus Christ that their lights would come on in their eyes. They're doing ministry with him. And then at the end, he's saying, go and do. Go and do it, but don't go do it as a lone ranger. 
Go and do the way I've done with you. Go and invite people. Come and follow me, not with a prerequisite, and with whatever context you're in, and I'm going to show you how to be a tech entrepreneur and help solve amazing problems in the name of the Lord. Or whatever, whatever the context is. You're getting right up close to people to understand where they are and the context they live, and you're inviting them to, hey, come and follow. Just come along. And even if you're not using that words, come and have dinner with us and our friends. Come and, and in your mind, you're like, they're going to come and have dinner, and they're going to enjoy, and they're going to experience the goodness of God. They're going to feed on his faithfulness. They're going to experience his presence. They're going to see how I treat my wife. They're going to see how our children are, are, delight in the Lord. They're going to see, and they're going to, they're going to sit and soak in the presence of God. We're going to care for them like they've never been cared for. We're going to nurture them like they've never been nurtured before. We're going to bless them like they've never been blessed before, and not with all of this expectation expectation and weight and burden, but because we have been given so much. And it's effortless to live and to love in that place. It's our privilege to disciple people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and walk of life here on the Central Coast and around the globe. How teaching Faith in Jesus Christ is to help others learn to trust him, to trust his character, his word, his promises, his methods, his power, his finished work at the cross, and the work that he will finish in each and every one of us. Learning to trust Jesus in one area requires close, walking close enough to someone, living from the heart of Jesus in that area. And teaching someone to trust Jesus in one area requires inviting that person close enough to see you living from the heart of Jesus in that area. The way our youth pastor, Pastor Wyatt says it oftentimes, and yes, is he says ministry or discipleship goes at the speed of relationship. You have to be close enough to somebody to learn from them. You have to be close enough to really to see how it is they're living it out, not just observing the, the outward signs of their life, but to observe the inner parts of their life and how they're living out God's word and his promise and his kingdom and his heart. We have to be close enough. It, it requires trust, and it only goes at the speed of relationship. Who are you close enough to to learn in that way? And who is close enough to you to learn from you in that way? It's not that we, have, we are expected to teach everything, but whatever we've, we've received, we share. Whatever we've been blessed with, we've been blessed to be a blessing. We are to reach toward God and neighbor and to teach at the speed of relationship, faith in Jesus Christ.